0: This morning, we're continuing in our series with Romans. Uh, we're reaching the end, as Andrew shared earlier. We're reminded that uh, where we started, that, that this is by his mercy. And, and, and we hear the, the continuation of that story with Romans 15:8 through 16. Please, uh, those of you that uh, are able to stand, uh, stand for the reading of God's word. This is Romans 15, verse 8 through 16. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified, by the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you that you are our constant, that your word speaks to us today in truth, in might, in power, in love. God, we pray that this morning that you would uh, work by the power of your Holy Spirit through your servant, Andrew, that you would work in our hearts to hear your word lord capture us with this amazing vision of the feast prepared for the nations for all of us that we're able to join you at your table because of the work of christ god thank you for the pastors and elders and deacons here at this church that so faithfully lead us week in and week out uh, thank you for your word that that forms us, informs our lives, uh, informs our community together. Thank you for each and every person that you have gathered here today and for those in our body that are worshiping with us together from their homes. Uh, God, we, we praise you for your amazing work and look forward in a great anticipation for how you will meet us in this moment. Prepare our hearts it's for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
1: Start this morning in Lake Wobegon. Some of you are familiar with Lake Wobegon. Some of you aren't. It might be a little bit of a generational thing. It might be a little bit of a... Uh, Uh, regional sort of thing, but Lake Wobegon is Garrison Keillor's imaginary or fictional town. Uh, It tells a lot of stories there. One story is Grace Tollifson. She married Alex Campbell back in the 1930s, a man who didn't turn out so well, turned out to be a 'er ne'er-do-well. They had three, three kids, Earl, Marlis, and Walter. One day, Alex just left Grace. He left her penniless, He left her destitute. She was forced to move back home, live off the kindness of folks there, enduring the relentless I told you so's from her mother. It was humiliating. But one day, things changed for her. Uh, She got a letter in the mail uh, from a man in Philadelphia doing research on Scottish nobility, uh, presumably before the days of Ancestry.com. Uh, was asking who their ancestors were, so he could look it up. Uh, Grace wrote the man back, and a few days later, she got a- another envelope. And this envelope was also addressed to Mrs. Grace Campbell, but when she opened it, the letter was addressed to Your Royal Highness. And in the letter, the man wrote, today is the happiest day of my life as I greet my one true sovereign queen. He went on to say that the branch of the Campbell family was the first in the line of succession to the house of Steward, the royal family of Scotland. Keeler writes of that moment that it was just hard for Grace to believe there was a chart, and the line on the chart led straight to them, to Earl, to Marlis, to Walter, the royal family of Scotland, living in Lake Wobegon in a green mobile home. Furniture donated by the Lutheran Church. They were astounded beyond words, disbelieving at first, afraid to put their weight on something so beautiful, afraid it was too good to be true. And then it took hold uh, in their own hearts that this was grace, pure grace that God had offered them, not their will, but His grace. Here they were in their same dismal place, but everything had changed. They were different people. Their surroundings were the same, but they were different. I start here in Lake Wobegon because I think there's a certain sense in which this story of sort of hidden nobility can help us to connect with the glories that Paul wants us to see here in Romans chapter 15. So we come to Romans chapter 15, uh, we come to these verses in particular here, 8 to 13, 8 to 16 as we expand them a little bit. Um, As we come to that, in, in a very real sense, we're coming to the heart of what Paul is wanting to communicate throughout this entire letter. To the Romans now that's hard for us to believe it's hard for us to get our minds around we're we're so accustomed to the doctrinal heights that Paul has ascended in the first 11 chapters we're even captivated by the the ethical depth that he has plumbed in chapters 12 uh, to the first part of chapter 15 but it's all been going to this point this point Point, part uh, it's, all, it's all been going to this part of the letter because what Paul is, is wanting to do in this letter is he's wanting to highlight the mission that God has given him to the Gentiles. And he's wanting to invite this Roman church, this struggling church made up of, of Jews and Gentiles, of rich and poor, of slaves and free. He's wanting to invite them to, To participate in this ministry to the Gentiles. And so, everything that he has written about God's grace and salvation, about the indwelling truth of the Holy Spirit, about how it changes how we view our lives, how we see ourselves, how we live, it's all been living to this point. And so, here Paul is sort of taking the veil back and he's saying, You think you live in a trailer park? You think you live you know, with donated furniture and you're just barely getting by. But you are actually nobility. You are actually part of a much, much greater story. And and what you are experiencing in your circumstances now can do nothing to mute the glory of the gospel that I want to expound with you, that I've been called To expound to the Gentiles. That's what Paul is saying to this church. I mean, they're meeting, you know, in dingy little places around town. They're meeting in the catacombs. They're meeting in the kitchens late at night. They're meeting in all of these secretive places around Rome. But what Paul is saying is the message is glorious. Uh, There is a harvest, there is this beautiful tree of life. Uh, that God is doing and he wants us to connect with us. I think it's hard for us to believe this. I mean, some of it, we have the same obstacles that the Roman church had. We have the obstacles of our present circumstances that kind of mute, especially 2020. You know, John Durst says 2020 gets one star. Uh, it, it just doesn't get a high... A high approval rating for us between a pandemic, between cultural uh, explosion, between knee surgeries and and disease, and all of the different things. It it doesn't get the the kind of high approval rating, and the circumstances mute our being able to see the glory of the gospel. Or perhaps it's just too familiar to us. You know, I, I read this passage, and I'll be honest with you, you know, just wrestling with it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen all this before. You know, the, the gospel's for the Gentiles too, right? And I, I'm a Gentile, and so we, we sort of expect it. But this is glorious news that Paul is sharing here. He is called to minister, and he is inviting us in. So I want to take a look at it, see that it's a rooted story, a fruited story, and then it's a nutrient-rich story. It's this tree of life. Uh, that God is inviting us to behold. The rooted story goes to two aspects. First of all, uh, the fact that this is a story that has been since the creation of the world. Uh, Since the creation of the world, God has been about creating a a domain in which He is King, and He is Lord, and He is worshipped. Of course, right away in the garden Adam and Eve fell from that there was dissonance between God and man and you sort of see this uh, You know this running and hiding and and moving away, but God began pursuing Uh, He began pursuing he began gathering back to himself and not just a selection of people, but the whole earth Uh, The whole earth he was making his own and from the very beginning that has been his plan and so, we, we read here in verse, twi- or verse 8, I tell you, Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. And, and then he goes on and he, and he quotes four times uh, from the Old Testament to prove that this is what God has been doing, that this is what God has been about. So we see from the very beginning, these promises that have been made, that God is, is telling the story. They're rooted in God's actions from the very moment that humankind fell away from Him, God began pursuing them back, pursued them back in Abraham. And He came to Abraham in Genesis 12, Uh, One of the great things about the story of of the patriarchs is that God was using them in order to redeem the world. Uh, He gives them the promises, and and these promises are true. Here he uses uh, quotations from uh, Deuteronomy, 2 Samuel. There's two from Psalms and one from Isaiah. Uh, That's every part of the Old Testament uh, scriptures. The Old Testament, the Israelites, they had the the writings, the Torah, the law, and the Navi, the prophet. uh, So those were the completion of their scriptures. And and Paul quotes from every single one of them to say, this is what God is doing. He has been about pursuing a people from the very beginning. And then he says, it's true. Uh, You saw that there in in verse... Eight, uh, to show the truthfulness of God's word, to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So from the very beginning, throughout the whole of the Old Testament, in a way that is being confirmed now into uh, the present time and on into the future, uh, God has been building this story, and it's a story that can be trusted, it's a story that is reliable this i think is one of our big problems or big challenges that we have today Uh, we've just come through this election cycle and there's so much about the news i mean how many of you feel just a little bit cynical about the the things that you hear or read uh coming through the newspaper Uh, we we have a hard time really believing that there is something reliable Uh, and and so when God comes to us and says I'm telling a story and this story is trustworthy this story is true we automatically have our our cynical sensors uh, come up and we say can we really believe this and of course you know there are folks that want to call into question the Word of God there are folks that want to call into question the overall story and and there are always uh, place to answer those questions to deal with questions that people might have as the scriptures I would put my confidence in the scriptures up there very high and be happy to entertain any questions that you might have but one of the things that we see is that God says believe it Uh, And and that's just where we, we struggle, you know, even the declaration of forgiveness this morning says, truly I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. This is where God is always coming to us and saying, I am reliable, will you surrender? Will you believe that? I was thinking about that even as we were reading through the the prayer this morning uh the lord's prayer and we were thinking through applying that the back and forth in the litany there you know these are things that god has taught us to pray jesus taught his disciples to pray why because this tells us the heart of god and and we can rely on these things so when we pray forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors you know, we're, we're taught to believe that God is one who we can go and we can ask for forgiveness because He wants to give us forgiveness. He's ready to extend that forgiveness to us. Do you believe that? Do you see God as truthful in that moment? Or uh, help us to forgive those who trespass against us? You know, do you believe that forgiveness is, is a better route to go than revenge, or that forgiveness is more beneficial to you as well as to them uh, than bitterness and holding a grudge. Uh, These are things that we're asked to believe the truthfulness of, to rest on. You know, give us this day our daily bread that God says He will provide for us, even in the midst of 2020 when we have the pandemic, even in the midst of uh, you know, all of the, the vagaries of our life that we go through, whether it's disease or economic distress or having to go through my classes at college or whatever it might be. Do we believe that God wants to give us what we need and that He is giving it to us for our good? Do we, do we believe, do we absolutely believe that God's Word is rooted in who he is, in his faithfulness, uh, to keep his word, do we believe that God's word is true? That's the invitation. That's the invitation. And that's the first thing that Paul wants us to see is that when we come to this glorious part of the letter to the Romans uh, that we can trust God because it's a, a, a rooted story That we are a part of. Then the second thing that he wants us to see is that it's a fruited story. I've already given you sort of a a sense of that. I mean, the promises had to do with the fact that it wasn't only the Jews that were going to be saved, but it was also the Gentiles. So, Paul, uh, uh, referring back to the promises to Abraham, reminds his Jewish audience there in Rome and reminds the Gentile audience there in Rome that it was always God's intention to save the entirety of the world, Uh, that, that His grace wasn't limited to a particular people group, His grace wasn't limited to a particular part of the globe, but that His grace was both broad and deep, uh, broad covering the whole face of the earth. Remember Habakkuk says, the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. You know There is not going to be a place on this globe that will not know about the Lord. And then it's going to be deep. It's not going to be just people who are ethnically Jewish, but it's going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And as we project forward, we see standing before the throne and before the Lamb, people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And we see that in this world today. We see uh, people on the continent of Africa. Ugandans and Congolese and uh, people from Niger, they're, they're standing and they're giving praise to God. We, we see Iranians coming to uh, faith in, in record numbers. Uh, we see people in North Korea. We see people throughout the entirety of the globe singing praise to God. And we give thanks to that because His purposes, His intentions, they're not limited. They're not limited to a place, they're not limited to a people, but they are extensive and they are broad and they include all. What a message this was for Rome. You know, Paul wanted to keep saying this because everybody wanted to sort of limit God, limit God to The Jewish race and so if you weren't born Jewish well then it was too bad for you limit God to those who were educated part of the Roman aristocracy and if you were not part of them then it it couldn't be for you limit God to those who are victims and if you don't know victimhood then you can't know God we we all still share that tendency to want to limit who God is for in a particular way, but God wants to blow that apart and say, from the very beginning, my heart has been to pursue a creation that ran away from you. My heart has been to pursue a people uh, that would rebel against me, no matter who they are, no matter what tribe, no matter what tongue, no matter what people they are from. My heart has been to pursue them and to bring them into fellowship with me, This is why Jesus came. This, of course, is the, the heart of what Paul is saying here. Christ became a servant <coughs> to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. Uh, the root of Jesse, verse 12, will come. Even he who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to extend both the breadth and the depth of the salvation that God was working in the world. It's in Jesus that this all comes to culmination. And this, of course, is what Paul has been laying out throughout the entirety of the book of Romans. Now, the question is this. Do we in our green trailer parked life, Uh, Do we, you know, filled with the donations from the Lutherans and from the Presbyterians, do we, with all of the circumstances that that seem to mute that, with just our sort of uh, blase understanding of that, do we realize the glory of what Paul is saying? Uh, And and this is where I'm really captured by what Paul says in verses 13 and following Because what he is saying here to the church in Rome is he is saying, you you know what God has been about from the beginning. You know the roots of what God has been doing. You know the fruits in which God uh, is talking about having this tree that that sends forth its its glory, Uh, not just in terms of the Jewish people, but in terms of all the nations, all types of people. You know this. But now do you believe it? Do you really own this? Do you own it for yourselves? Do you own it for the the way that you live your lives in response to this gospel? Are you really owning this? Are you experiencing the nutrient-rich life of being united to Jesus Christ? Look what Paul says uh, about this people. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and all peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Here Paul transitions, and he says, this is what God is doing, and this is what God is doing both in you. And through you. Uh, You are part of this nutrient rich tree uh, that God is using to show forth His glory to the nations. It's amazing what what Paul says about people who are united to Christ here. Uh, You just read some of these words uh, hope, filled with hope, filled with the Spirit, filled with goodness or kindness, knowledge joy, peace, do you feel, do you believe that this describes you? These adjectives, spirit-filled, knowledge-filled, hope-filled, joy-filled, peace-filled, like this is what Paul is saying is what it means to be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it means to have sort of the, the taproot of the gospel down into the rich soil. And so that it's continuing to, to come up through us. And, and this is what Paul says is the result of being connected to the Holy Spirit, being connected by the Holy Spirit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is what Paul is saying is the marvelous goodness, the marvelous picture that the gospel has been working into us. And again, this is where I come back to and say, it's sometimes so hard to believe this in our green trailer park life. It's so hard to believe this when circumstances are pressing against us or when we forget the magnitude of of what the gospel is. But this is what Paul is pushing us to see and pushing us to believe right now. There was a a show back around 2000. uh, I think it was a spinoff of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Not that I'm an expert on that. Uh, But the show was called Angel. And in it, Angel was a former vampire who uh, was cursed uh, by a, a group of Of believers actually uh, by giving back a soul Uh, one of the reasons why vampires could be so um, so ruthless was that they didn't have a soul and so this this guy angel was given back his soul and so he felt all of the horrible things that he ever did and so his non-dead life now was trying to earn back trying to uh, trying to prove that he was no longer that evil vampire, but that he was actually a good creature once again. The reason why I thought about this was that I feel like so often we find ourselves kind of you know, trapped like angel. Trying to prove that we're no longer those evil creatures. Trying to accumulate and do enough good things. Uh, in order to prove to God uh, that, that we are, are no longer that ugly, hideous, vampire-type creature. But what Paul is saying is this. When you surrender your life to Christ, you are good. You are filled with those things. It's not a matter of proving those to anybody. It's not a matter of accumulating enough good works That's something foreign to the gospel. That's a a form of of meritocracy. That's a form of self-salvation that has no ground in the scriptures. What the scriptures say, when you are united to Christ, when you behold his son, when you're surrendered to him, you are part of this nutrient-rich being That it is filled with goodness and knowledge and joy and peace. But then Paul says, I have to remind you of that. Did you see that verse 15? Uh, He says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister to the Gentiles. And this is a theme of the apostles throughout the New Testament. They're saying, For you who are in Christ, for you who have surrendered your lives to him, it's not a matter of becoming. It's not a matter of becoming somebody who you aren't right now. It's a matter of being who Christ has made you to be. Being who you have been redeemed to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. So remember that. Believe that. Sink your teeth into that. Drop your taproot into that. You know, throw your anchor there. This is who you are in Christ, and allow these traits to come out in yourselves. It's so hard. Last night, I was in the middle of something, and uh, Zoe had just gotten home from a place, and. Uh, Lisa said, "Hey, come over here, see this." I said, "Hey, just a minute. I'll, I'll be over there in a minute." Um, she didn't hear me say that. She's like, "Hey, come over here," and I'm like, "I said I'll be there in a minute." It was anything but joy or peace. Uh, I was, I was, it was frustration. It was irritation. It was annoyance. It all came out right there, and, and I realized at that point because I've been thinking about this when I was being irritated and annoyed. That I wasn't being who I was. I, I'm not being who I am in the spirit, and, and I had to repent. Not that, that uh, I could earn myself into being somebody who's more loved by God, but that God loved me so much, and he's made me in this way. Now, my, my, my job, my, my call, the invitation for my life, is to be who Christ has made me to be. I have the joy and peace of Christ in me. And so in those moments when I'm tempted to be irritated and annoyed, uh, to, to say, no, that's not who I am. That's not who I am in Christ. And then one last thing to, to draw your connection to, we share it. So not only does it transform us individually, but we then share it with the world around us to transform the world around us. This is what Paul says, I have become a priest, a minister. Uh, the word there is not the word uh, doulos or it's not the word uh, diaconos; it's the word laturgon. We talked about that in in uh, Romans thirteen six, he I've become a, a liturgist, I've become a priest. And then he goes on, in the priestly service of the gospel, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The whole thing speaks of temple worship, and the whole thing speaks of taking this, this good news out into the world and helping people learn how to dance to the gospel music. You know, so often, I, I've said about my own life and my own sort of journey in Christ, there, there was a time growing up, uh, and I'm so grateful for my upbringing, I'm so grateful for parents that taught me the scriptures, taught me the catechisms, I'm so grateful for that, but there was a time in my life where I, I knew a lot of the answers, right? I, I knew the words to the music, uh, the words to the songs, but I had never really heard the music myself. And I had never learned how to dance. And I still have a little problem with rhythm every now and then. Uh, My family will tell you I have a lot of problem with rhythm. Uh, But there's something about it that Paul says here. Take this to the world around you and, and share it. Let it overflow out of you so that you can be the liturgist that helps bring these people into the fellowship of God. So just like the gospel wasn't for the Jews and the Jews only, it's for the Gentiles, it's not for, in a New Testament context, it's not just for the church. It's for the church to go out into the world and introduce everybody around and say, Come, dance with us. This is such good news. This is an amazing story. This is why this is the heart of what Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He's saying, I have this tremendous news. You're part of this amazing story. Now go and share it with all those around you. Bring them into the service that they may be part of that great offering, that they may be part of that great dance that sings praises to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What a story we are in. It is truly, truly uh, a tree of life that just raises above our current situation. Brothers and sisters, you may be living in a trailer park, but you are kings and queens and princes and princesses, You have the best news, something that cannot be contained by a pandemic. It cannot be contained uh, by economic hardship. It cannot be contained by disease. It cannot be contained by anything. And God says, dance. Go out, be who you are, and share it with all those around you. May God give us the grace and give us the peace. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray now that you would help us to live out this word, that you would help us to live out this faith, that you would help us to be the priests, to be the liturgists that are are leading all those around us uh, in the great dance of glory uh, to you, our Savior and our King. Uh, Father, we know that we do it in the midst of a world uh, where there is lots of pain. We know that we do it in the midst of a world where uh, people are gathering in the uh, modern version of catacombs. Uh, they are gathering in the uh, because of the the pandemic that has, has affected. There, there are so many ways in which we feel the uh, the impact of our circumstances. But Lord, may you give us the eyes to see. Uh, a glory that goes beyond our circumstances, that traces it all the way back to a, a rooted story uh, that sees the glory of the gospel. Father, we pray for your blessing on us as a church. Uh, Lord, we, we know that we need you to push us out uh, into our communities now more than ever. Maybe that's not true, but now especially as as much as ever. Uh, we know that we live in the midst of a culture that needs uh, this good news, and Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, to carry it with all joy uh, and with all uh, fervor as well. Father, we pray for families that are hurting, in particular in our community this, uh, this morning. Think of the Guillaume family as they have laid to rest Norm. Lord, we have missed him for a long time. It has been a, a long goodbye uh, with Norm. And we rejoice that he is now at uh, the, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Uh, but Lord, we miss him. We pray for Molly. We pray for, um, for the kids. We pray for all who feel that hole, the grandkids. Uh, we ask that you would be close to them during this time. And then we pray for, for Ron and for Fran, uh, for Fran and, and her boys and losing Ron. Uh, That was not a long goodbye. That was a very sudden and and unexpected. And Father, we ask that you would be close to that family as well. Um, And it is a reminder to us that uh, uh, we all live uh, within just a a breadth of our final breath. And and so, Lord, we pray that you would be close to the Christensen family, uh, that you would teach us to number our days, that we would gain a heart of wisdom. And Father, we extend these prayers to all in our community that need you in a special way. Father, we uh, offer ourselves to you. We offer our our money to you, our tithes, our offerings. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would take them, that you would use them in the service of your kingdom. Uh, We ask that you would build up a testimony to to your glory here. uh, And that you would help us to be faithful in using those gifts. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.